Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll begin in chapter 9, verse 35. We're going to go through verse uh, 4 in chapter 10. That's found on page 790 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and cast them, or, or gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So as we told you just a minute ago, the theme for Bible school this week is Hero Hotline. And I know we're going to be learning about a lot of heroes this week in Bible school. But it may be a good uh, theme for uh, Father's Day and Mother's Day as well. Because certainly in my life, when I have needed a hero, when I have needed help, when I have needed someone to call when I've been in trouble, I have called my dad and my mom. And they've always been there to try to help fix things when I have, well, broken things. When I was a child and my uh, chain would fall off of my bicycle, it was my dad who would figure out a way to put it back on. When I would break toys, it was my mom and my dad who would glue those things back together. And even when I was older and I was driving my car, my dad would take pride in being able to fix my car when things were going wrong with it. In fact, one day when I was in high school, I apparently drove a little bit too fast over a speed bump and my uh, tailpipe got jostled loose a little bit. I didn't have the money as a high school student to fix it, but my dad just said, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. And a couple of days later, it was fixed, and I drove around in that car for a couple of more years. <clears throat> it was a couple of years later when my dad finally told me how he fixed it. He took two coat hangers, bent them into a, well, a little U, and, and hooked them underneath the car, and, uh, and that's how he tied the tailpipe back up into place. He had fixed it that way. Now, after two years, it was fine. I, I suppose he fixed it okay. I'm not recommending you fix your car that way. But my dad took pride in the fact that he could fix things like that anytime I needed help. My mom and dad not only fixed things that were broken around me, but they fixed things that were broken within me. 
Anytime things are going hard in my life, I could pick up the phone and, and call my mom and dad when I was overwhelmed with school, when I was overwhelmed with work, when I was overwhelmed with just being an adult and trying to have my own house and have my own family. I could pick up the phone and call my mom and dad and hear their voice, and they would simply say, take a deep breath, son. You can do this. And it'd give me the courage courage to know that I could carry on no matter what I was facing in the world. That's why I think of my mom and my dad as my heroes. They always gave me courage when I needed courage. I have to believe by this point in the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples are feeling the same way about Jesus. Jesus has fixed some pretty incredible things. He's performed some miraculous miracles, healing people who have been in need. In fact, right here in the gospel, I'm sorry, in chapter 9 alone, he has done some amazing things. He started out by healing a paralyzed man. He went from there and healed Jairus' daughter, who we talked about last week. On the way to Jairus' house, he healed a woman in the crowd. And then after that, he healed two blind people. And just for good measure, he healed a person who was mute, who couldn't speak. He now found his voice. Jesus did all of that just in chapter 9. Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking of this guy? My goodness, what a hero. This guy can do anything. He can perform miracles. He can do anything we need him to do. We would follow him anywhere. As he's looking out here in the passage that we just read, he's noticing more and more people who are in need, looking out all over Galilee, knowing that there are people who are still hurting, people who need miracles. Maybe even the disciples are bringing some of those people to him because of all the wonderful deeds he's done. But this time, he throws the disciples a curveball. He looks at all of these people with compassion and says, instead of me healing them, I'm going to send you. He says the, the harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of work to be done, but we need a few more workers. I'm going to send you. I can only imagine the disciples were a little overwhelmed by this commissioning here in chapter 9. They had to be a little overwhelmed. After all, it's Jesus who is the miracle worker. It's Jesus who is the Messiah. It's Jesus who does all of these incredible things. The disciples are ordinary people. And if you look all throughout the Bible, in fact, any time that God sends someone to help, their reaction is usually to be a little overwhelmed. When God sends Moses to go and help the people in Egypt, Moses' first reaction is, no, not me, I'm an ordinary person, I can't do that. When God calls Jeremiah and Ezekiel, their response is the same, to, to go out and help the people and speak to the people in the exile, no, no, not me, you don't want me. And talk about ordinary people, look at this list of names that I just read to you. Fishermen, tax collectors, Sinners, people who will doubt Jesus, people who will betray Jesus. Ordinary human beings. There's nothing special about these people at all. But Jesus says, no, you, I'm going to send you. Believe it or not, that word send that I just read, this is the first time we see that word in the Gospel of Matthew. That word in Greek is apostole. What word do we get from apostole? 
apostle. That's right. This is the first time that these disciples are now being called apostles. Now, maybe for you and for me, these words seem kind of interchangeable. But really, they have two very different meanings. Disciple means student, someone who follows a rabbi around and learns from their teacher, tries to soak up all they can from their teacher. But an apostle is someone who is sent, like a ship is sent out into the ocean to go on a mission. A disciple is a student. An apostle is one who is sent. Well, maybe it's because I'm Presbyterian, but I have always been more comfortable calling myself a disciple rather than an apostle. That's why I still wear my academic robes when I sit up here in the pulpit. That's because I want you to know I'm still a student. I'm still learning. We never stop learning. We never stop studying the Bible. We never stop learning and experiencing and receiving the grace of God. I've always been more comfortable being a disciple but an apostle, someone who's supposed to go out there into the world and, and heal the sick and help those people in need and try to solve these overwhelming problems that this world is facing every single day. I, I'm just an ordinary person. That's something Jesus has to do. That's something God has to do. I've always had that inner conflict within me of fighting between whether I am called to study, called to learn, called to receive, or called to be sent. Believe it or not, that conflict has happened in the church for generations, ever since Mary and Martha invited Jesus to their house, and Mary sat at Jesus' feet, Martha did all the work. This, this fight between different streams of Christianity of what is more important to do, to sit and learn and listen and, and try to absorb as much as we can from Jesus Christ, or to go out into the world and do everything, fight as much, hard as we can to help those people in need, to, to put our faith into action. There's a great spiritual theologian named Robert Mulholland. He's written about this, this dichotomy and this conflict forever. The difference between people who are, are contemplative and, and want to study and learn the Bible versus people who are always about action, going out into the world and helping and fighting and working for people in need, doing the mission of God. And he has said, even though these two things seem to always be in conflict with each other, always one people saying, you're wasting your time, and others saying, you're wasting your time, he says that actually we have to have both. Not just within the church, but within ourselves. To grow closer to Jesus Christ, to be the people that Jesus Christ wants us to be, we have to be disciples and we have to be apostles. To be more Christ-like, we have to be disciples and we have to be apostles. He likens it to breathing. You breathe in, but you also have to breathe out. If you don't breathe out, you're not going to last very long. We breathe in. We breathe in God's goodness and mercy. We breathe in God's lessons, Jesus' teachings. We breathe in that grace that we need, but we also have to breathe it out. We have to take it out there into the world and let other people experience that grace and mercy through us to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. If not, well, we're only being half a Christian. We're not following Jesus where Jesus sends us. 
I'll give you a little example from my own life. I maybe have told you this before, but when I was working at a children's hospital many years ago, there were days where I was just overwhelmed, overwhelmed by all that was going on on the floor. So much pain and suffering, children who are hurting, families who are just overwhelmed with despair, and it was very easy for me to just hide back in my office. There's always paperwork to do at the hospital. Always things I could read, always things I could study. I would find myself hiding back there in my office. And one afternoon after I'd been hiding all day, I picked my head out the office just to tell everybody goodbye. And one of the nurses on the floor stopped me. She was a good friend of mine named Kate. And she stopped me and said, Clayton, where have you been all day? We've been looking for you. We've needed you out here. We've needed the chaplain to come and help us. And I stopped her and said, oh, no, no, no. You all don't need me. You've got everything you need all by yourself. And she stopped me dead in my tracks and said, Quit playing it small, Clayton. We need you out here. You're the chaplain. Whatever you have will be good enough. How often do we play our faith too small? Because we look at the problems out there in the world and say, Oh, that's not for me. That's not something I can deal with. I'm just an ordinary person. We don't realize it's the Spirit of God that has been breathed into us, that we have breathed in, that we have to take out there into the world to help those people who are hurting, to help those people who are in need, to help those people who don't have enough food, don't have enough shelter, those people who are fighting injustice, those people who are facing racism and bigotry every single day. We look at those problems and say, oh, that's not for me. How often do we play our faith too small when Jesus Christ has sent us to help those people in the world? The New Testament theologian Marcus Borg said something similar. He said, every day in our church we stand up and we say the words, we believe. We believe in God the Father Almighty. We believe in Lord Jesus the Lord and giver of life. We say those words so often, so often that those words have really lost their meaning. The original meaning of those words when the Apostles' Creed was written was something more along the lines of we take it to our heart. We take it to our heart that Jesus is the Lord and the giver of life. We take it to our heart that God is the Father Almighty. We take it to our heart and it moves us, causes us to act. He said a better translation these days instead of we believe should be we beloved. Not we believe, but we beloved. It's not just something we think in our head, but it's something we do with our heart, with our words, and with our actions. We not only have to be disciples, but we have to be apostles. We breathe in. And we breathe out. When we breathe out, we help those people around us in the world. As Holland would say, if we don't breathe out, we won't last very long. But he would also tell us that the opposite is true. If we go out into the world without taking time to breathe in that spirit, to breathe in that grace, to breathe in that love of God, we won't last very long out there in the world. We will be ordinary people trying to solve the world's problems, and we will be empty-handed. We'll go out there into the world with good intentions, but we will be ordinary people without anything extraordinary with us. The great civil rights leader and theologian Howard Thurman learned that at a very early age. 
Howard Thurman was a mentor to people like Martin Luther King, but when he was a child growing up in Daytona, Florida, he was just like you and me. He had chores to do when he was a child. One of his chores, along with all of his family, one of his chores was to read to his grandmother. You see, his grandmother had been born on a slave plantation right outside Madison, Florida, and because she was born a slave, she had never learned to read and write. And so his job, a few times a week, was to go over to her house and read to her, read the Bible to her. He would read all sorts of scripture to her, but she always wanted him to read the scripture that she had not heard before back on the plantation. She had heard some scripture back on the plantation, you know, slaves be subject to your master. She didn't want to hear that anymore. What she wanted to hear was the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. She wanted to hear the gospel where Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. She wanted to hear the gospel that said, Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and that light is right here within us. And reading that scripture to his grandmother, Howard Thurman, realized that the scripture of God has something important and valuable to say to people who have their backs against the wall. That if we want to build the kingdom of God out there, we first have to remember that the kingdom of God starts right here. He would later write that our calling is to serve. Not, it's no outward thing, but it lives deep within us where we find the quiet persistence of the heart that enables us to ride out the storms of this life. Calling is this exciting whisper moving through the aisles, the Spirit of God, which gives us hope. He said we have to breathe in. Breathe in that Spirit so that when people are yelling in our face and telling us that we don't matter, we know that to God we do matter. When people are intimidating us and trying to make us afraid, we know that scripture that says you don't have to fear anything but God alone. When people are crying out your name and calling for you to create vengeance, he remembered that scripture in his heart. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We have to breathe in or we'll never be able to breathe out. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We have to be called, but we also have to be sent. We have to be a disciple, a learner, yes, but we also have to be an apostle. We have to go out there into the world. We have to believe, yes, but we also have to be love. We have to breathe in so that we can breathe out. In a few minutes, you're all going to be sent to the exit doors. But before you go, do me one favor. Take a deep breath. Know that God is with you. And even though you're ordinary, God is extraordinary. Take a deep breath and know that with God, you can do this. To the glory of God. Amen.